0: A person atone for their trespasses against God. Scripture proclaims all of us have to face God the judge on judgment day. To give defense for the long list of sins that also come with evidence. The question to be asked will not be are you or are you not guilty? But rather how will you pay for such iniquity? the response isn't look at all the good I've done for compared to God all of our works are like filthy rags so how does one atone? we can't God is too glorious we need a savior a mediator a perfect person to pacify the penalty that is pending someone fully faultless free of wrongdoing the only one qualified and equipped for this is Jesus he is divine in deity and wholly human the second person of the Trinity in hypostatic union God the Son became a man tempted and tried like us he experienced suffering both just and unjust yet spotless of sin he remained, funneling God's punishment and warranting death in its grave. This means Christ's sinless life is sufficient for salvation according to Scripture. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, solus Christus. All right,
1: that's what we're looking at this morning. If you have your Bibles and I hope you do, turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 12 12 through 21 today. Now, in our uh, study of the five solas, we spent 6 weeks on scripture alone because that is the foundation. In fact, Mankind would never know the five solas if God himself had not revealed them in Scripture alone. Then we spent two weeks on sola fide, faith alone, because that was the number one issue in the Reformation, and indeed, it still remains the number one reason why Rome, the Roman Catholic Church is separated from the true gospel. It's because they reject the teaching of faith alone. Well, now we're going to have a Reformation Christmas with the final 3 solas. Solus Christus, sola gratia, and soli Deo gloria. Christ alone, grace alone, glory alone. And as I already said, when you think about it, those are the themes of Christmas, and those ideas are filled in our carols and they form a great Reformation Advent study. And so Just to begin, how does Christ alone relate to the rest of the solas? Well, it makes me think of John 14, 6, where Jesus himself said, Christ alone is the means of salvation. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you can take that verse and relate it to the rest of the solas. Christ alone is the focus of Scripture alone. Jesus said, I am the truth. And Christ alone is the object of our faith alone. He said, I am the way. Our faith is in Christ alone. And Christ alone is the source of grace alone. He said, I am the life. The grace of God. Christmas is the story that God's grace is incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. And then finally, Christ alone is the expression of God's glory alone. No one comes through the Father except through me. Because Jesus Christ, you look into the face of Christ, Paul said, and you see the glory of God. Well, there's so much more. In fact, I looked at John chapter 1 this week. You can take John chapter 1 and all the statements there, which John chapter 1 is a great Christmas passage, Advent passage, and you can find in John chapter 1 all these ideas that Christ alone is the focus, the object, the source, the expression. And the reason is because in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, John says this, "...in Him was life." "...and the life was the light of men, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it." We see the Christmas lights, we think of the candles, and yet Christ is the light that shone in the darkness 2,000 years ago as the star looked over the place where the incarnate baby was born. But also, Christ alone was the light that shined 500 years ago in the dark ages. And folks, we need to remember, and I hope this series is helping you to remember, that Christ alone still is the light for the darkness of our age. And it's getting darker, is it not? Yeah. So, how do you study Christ alone in one message? Well, first first of all, we may not. We'll see. But, we could have looked at the Incarnation and the exclusivity of the person of Christ. But we're going to do that for our... Advent series here in in the worship. We could have looked at the atonement and the work of Christ and the sufficiency of His His work for us on the cross, but we do that a lot annually at Easter and at other times. We could have looked at His unique roles as mediator, prophet, priest, and king. And as I prepared this message, I kind of regretted I didn't do that because it would have been far easier. But Since we're already in Romans, and we've really worked our way uh, quite a bit through Romans in this series, I thought we'd tackle the cry of Christ alone from Romans 5, 12 through 21. This is a passage that is a tale of two men. It spans the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and it spans all of human history from its very beginning to its very end. All of humanity is either in Adam or they are in Christ. That sums up human history. And we are in Christ alone. And it's only through Christ alone that we can escape the sin, the condemnation, and the death that comes from Adam. So let's look at it. You have it there in your Bibles. Follow along, Romans 5, 12 through 21. Let's read it. Therefore... "...just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses." Remember, Moses was the lawgiver even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. There's the promise, the Christmas promise. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. You get The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through one, much more those who received the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification to all men. For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, that is some powerful, powerful stuff. Now, what's the big idea of that very compact passage? Here's the main idea. Notice what it says in your notes. God gives the super abounding gift of saving grace through Christ alone to those enslaved under sin's deadly rule in Adam. And the connection of this whole passage points all the way back to the, all that Paul has written from Romans 1 through 5. When he says, therefore, you might want to write in your Bibles, therefore, in light of Romans 1 through 5. Because in Romans 1 through 3, we see that all humanity is hopeless and helpless. Mouths are shut. We're standing before the divine judge. And we are guilty as charged. Therefore, we our wages of sin is what? Death. Therefore, we deserve death. Eternal, physical, spiritual separation from God. But, Romans 3.21 has those two beautiful words. But now... But now God in his grace determined to justify the ungodly. Isn't that great news? And so in Romans 3:21 all the way to 5:11, he talks about justification by faith alone. That's what we studied for the last 2 weeks. But now Paul comes to Romans 12 through 21 and he's going to wrap up his discussion of justification By saying this, it's not our faith that saves us, it's our faith in Christ alone that saves us. It's fascinating when you look at this passage. When you look at those verses we just read, faith and believe are never mentioned. It's saturated. Faith is repeated again and again in Romans 3 and 4. You come to Romans 5, 12 through 21, you don't see faith or believe one time. You do see the one word, and it's critical, receive. But the focus there is us being passive recipients of this free gift of grace. In fact, we is not even mentioned in this passage, is it? What did you see repeated over and over? One, one, one. Adam, Christ, that's the focus. One is repeated 13 times. We also are going to see two dominions, two reigns. Either you're enslaved under the reign of sin, condemnation, and death in Adam, or you are reigning with Christ in obedience, justification, and life. Here's the bottom line. The focus of this passage is on justification or salvation in Christ alone by grace alone. What a great passage to study this. In fact, this is the tale of two men. And everyone is either in Adam or in Christ. And I hope you determine which that is today. I can't help but think of the opening lines of Dickens', tale, the, uh, Dickens classic, The Tale of Two Cities. Anybody familiar with that book, Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities? One of the most famous opening lines in all of English literature. And it really reflects this passage. Listen to the opening lines. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of skepticism. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. Truly, Romans 5, 12 through 21 is the tale of two men. And it has that kind of stark contrast. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the reign of death in Adam. We're going to look at the reign of life in Christ. And having done that, we can then rejoice in the reign of grace. And that's how this passage ends, and it'll set us up for studying grace alone. So let's look at it, reflecting on the reign of death in Adam. That's what verses 12 through 14 are about, the reign of death in Adam. And it's real simple. These verses tell us sin and death entered. Sin and death entered by the act of one man. Sin and death entered humanity due to one man, Adam. Look at verse 12 again. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Real quickly, I want us to just think about this. First of all, sin entered humanity, and really the world in general, through one man. Now, the story of this is Genesis 1 through 3. Paul doesn't take time to tell the story, and neither am I. Okay, so you're going to have to read that if you're not familiar with it. But in Genesis 1 through 3, Adam is revealed as the representative head of the human race. In other words, when Adam was created, if you would have said all human beings step forward... One person would have stepped forward, okay? All of humanity gather over here, and Adam would have been there all by himself. He was the first man, the head of humanity, and he represents the entire human race. Real quickly, let me just say, we see this in three ways. First of all, the name that God gave him. Adam's name was Adam, but remember, you know what Adam also means? It means human. It's the same Hebrew word for mankind. So when you called, hey, Adam, you also were saying, hey, mankind, come over here. Okay. Also, it's seen in how God gave the creation commands of Genesis 1. Do you realize that God gave the commands in Genesis 1 and 2 before Eve was created? In other words, when he commanded all of humanity to multiply and fill the earth... Adam was standing there, representing all of us, okay? Now, obviously, he's going to need Eve to fill the earth with other little atoms. But the fact was, the command came before Eve was even created. And thirdly, when Adam and Eve fall, who does God call first? He calls Adam first. Even though Eve was deceived, Adam disobeyed and he represented and acted on behalf of all of humanity. So the point is, sin entered through the act of one man. Adam disobeyed and opened the door for sin to enter the world. Now, when he did that, something else entered in, and that's death. Death entered humanity through the sin of one man, Adam. Again, reading Genesis 2-3, through 3, death is mentioned nine times. But I have in your notes the main two mentions of death. God said very, very clearly to Adam, Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and when you do, you shall surely, what class? Die. Die. And yet Satan, the deceiver, the liar, came and tempted Eve, and he, she said... Or he said to Eve, You shall surely not die. And yet, die they did. Because death in the Bible is always separation. And we won't teach through that. I have the verses there for you. You can see that immediately there was entering into their lives physical death. They would eventually return to dust for dust you have come from. Spiritual death. Their eyes were open. They were immediately separated from God and from one another. And then eternal death because God put a cherubim guarding angel with a sword that would not let humanity come back and eat of the tree of life. But here's the deal. Sin and death not only entered through one man, but it also spread through one man. And that's the second thing that we see in this verse is that Sin and death not only entered through Adam, but it it spread to all of us through Adam. Look at uh, verse 12 again. It says this, And so, or you could translate it in this way, Death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. And now we come to a very tricky phrase, because all sinned. And that really raises a question. How do all people become sinners? And there's a, there's a lot of views on this. For instance, some people say they become we become sinners because once we're born, we choose to sin, and once we choose to sin, we become sinners. We sin, and thus we become sinners. Others say, no, we're born sinners. And because we're sinners, that's why we sin. And ultimately, I think in this passage we see that we become sinners because we are in Adam, and when he sinned, we sin. So, there's really two options. Let me give them to you. Either we become sinners when we personally sin as individuals. In other words, a lot of people, and sadly many Christians, have this idea that babies are, are sinless. They're guiltless. And that people start out as good people, and then, due to their environment, they become bad people, and thus all people become bad people eventually. That's kind of option one. We become sinners when we sin. But the second option, and the one that I think is in this passage, we sin because we're counted as sinners in Adam. We were in him when he sinned, and thus, when, because we can trace our DNA. Let me give you a hint. You don't have to go to... What, what's the company that sells DNA tests? It's on their Ancestry.com. You don't have to go there. Let me save you. You're all related to Adam. You're great, 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 great. Everybody's family tree ultimately goes back to Adam. And because of that, we sinned in Adam, and we're counted as sinners. So, let me give you a little a little biblical defense of that from this passage. You could make a case for the first option, but a stronger case is made for the second option, and here's why. Verses 13 through 14 really teach us that sin's deadly consequences existed. They existed even before there was a law or a specific command that anyone could sin against like Adam did. Look at verses 13 and 14, and these are hard verses, and I don't pretend to to be you know, fully understanding all that's going on, but let's look at them. For until the law, sin was in the world. Okay, it was there, but it was not imputed because there was no law yet. Nevertheless, death still reigned from Adam until Moses, the lawgiver even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Now, the best that I can explain that, he's saying this. He's saying that sin was present, but it wasn't counted as a transgression because the law hadn't been given yet. Nevertheless, death still reigned from Adam's day until the law of Moses even over those that didn't transgress a clear command like Adam did. And here's the point. Sin entered by Adam, and it led to sin being present in every person, and it was punishable. Think about the flood. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about the Tower of Babel. That all happened before the law was given. God punished sin because there was sin think about Genesis 5 that says Adams it gives Adams family tree and it says and he died 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 And you know what's still true today it's a sad reality that babies die in the womb that miscarriages are a reality that still births are a reality, and little babies die before they ever willfully choose to sin. And yet, their death proves that they were sinners in some way. Otherwise, they wouldn't have died. Sin entered, and with sin came death. The way you know everyone's a sinner is because everyone dies. Even those that don't sin in the way that Adam sinned. And so how can that be? Look at verses 15 through 19. The answer to that is, why is it that people who do not sin like Adam sin, and even little children, die and are sinners? I think it's because, if you look at 15, 15 through 19, are five verses. And in every one of those five verses, five times, Paul says, it's because of the transgression of one. Look at verse 15. For if by the transgression of the one the many died. Verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. The judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. Look at 17. For by the transgression of the what? One death reigned Through the, what? The one. Verse 18. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Verse 19. For as through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. I think that whatever I don't understand about 13 and 14, I do understand 15 through 19. And that is the sin of our forefather, Adam, who represented all of humanity when he sinned, his sin was counted against all who came from his loins and from his seed. And verse 14, I think, seals this argument. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says that the first Adam is a type or a pattern of the second Adam. He's a type or a pattern of the second Adam. Look at the end of verse 14. Adam, who is a type of him who was to come, meaning who who was the coming one? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying the way Adam passed on sin to his humanity, there's a comparison between Christ and how he passes on righteousness to his new humanity. So let's think about it. And I have this written in your notes. If we become sinners in Adam due to our own sinful acts, then by the pattern, by the analogy, we should become righteous in Christ by our own acts of righteousness. Do you see what I'm saying? If, If we can say, hey, I'm a sinner not because of Adam, but because of my sin. I chose. I started the process. Well, then by the analogy, we should come to Christ and get His righteousness by our own good works. But we know that's not true. And in fact, look at your notes. The rest of the passage seems to teach that Adam's sin is counted as belonging to those who are in him just as Christ's righteousness is counted to those who are in him. We're declared righteous not because we did a righteous act, but because who? Jesus. And guess what? We're sinners, ultimately, fundamentally, not because we first sinned, but because who sinned? Adam. Okay? And I think verse 18 and 19, look at verses 18 and 19 really do this, really seal this, at least for me. Look at verse 18. So then, as through one transgression... There resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification, a declaration that all are righteous. Even so, a declaration that all have sinned in Adam. Look at verse 19. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of theology there, but guess what? It's a lot of practical theology. Because it helps us to understand how we are born in sin... And we are worthy of death even as a child. Now, we're not discussing here whether babies go to heaven. Lord knows I can't handle that today. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about why do children die? In fact, why do all people die? So, the pattern is clear. Two men determine the destinies of two humanities for all eternity. Two men act as representative heads. The first Adam is a type of the second and the last Adam. See, here's the idea. Adam blew it for humanity. He was commissioned or commanded by God to rule over creation under God and to fulfill God's purpose of filling the world and ruling over the world under God. And guess what? He rebelled. And he fell under the reign of sin, death, and condemnation. But the second Adam, the second Adam is going to be the last Adam. And he's going to come and do what the first Adam couldn't do. He's going to undo what he did and he's going to do much, much more. And that's the idea. In fact, we see it in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. And you know why? Because there's no one in between the first Adam and, the, and Jesus. You see, he's the second Adam because everybody else is just like the first Adam. You see? First Adam and his humanity there needs to be a second adam but the good news is he's not only the second adam but he's the last adam what's that mean that means he's going to fulfill everything that adam should have and much more and instead of coming and being ruled over by satan sin and death jesus is going to come and rule over all things including death isn't that cool Got it? Great things. First and second Adam. So there you have in your chart, you have that whole analogy, that whole comparison. Either you're in Adam or you're in Christ. Well, that's the reign of death. Let's reflect on the reign of life in Christ alone. Reflect on the reign of Christ in, uh, or the reign of life in Christ alone. I already said that in 15 through 19, you have five verses, and we're going to see a comparison of Adam and Christ, the second Adam. And in that comparison, between the two, we're going to see five contrasts, five sharp contrasts that emphasize the beautiful reign of life that is in Christ alone. So let's look at it. First of all, the contrast of Adam's act of transgression and Christ's gift of grace. The biggest contrast is what this man contributed to his humanity is one act of sin. And the beauty of this Adam is that what he gives to his people who are in him a free gift of grace. That's verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So the contrast is between these two acts. One, an act of sin that deserves everything at God, one, a gift. A gift of grace. And man, Paul piles on the the words for grace in this verse. Let's look at it. Christ's gift is not like Adam's transgression because the gift is a free gift. He uses two words for gift here. It's like, I don't want you to just know it's a gift. I want you to know that it's a free gift. When you have free gifts advertised, they always put free in big words because they want you to know you don't have to pay anything for it, right? Now, secondly, the gift is given because of God's grace. Just in case you don't know how free it is, you're only getting it because of the grace of God, something that you don't deserve, something that you don't earn. But he doesn't stop there. The gift is given by means of the gracious act done by one man, Jesus Christ. It's a gift from the grace of God, but it's a gift given by the grace of Jesus Christ. Whoa! And then, he drives the point home how much greater this free and gracious gift is than the one after sin, because number four, the gift overflows or abounds so much more to the many who receive it. This word is repeated several times in this passage. Abounding, multiplying, overflowing. Grace upon grace, overflowing and abounding through Christ alone. Is that just not awesome? Think about that. He can't say it enough. But why does the gift abound? Look at the second contrast, number 2. Contrast the condemnation in Adam and the justification in Christ. The condemnation in Adam and the justification in Christ. Look at verse 16. He picks up this idea of the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Why? For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, declared guilty. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification, declared right in the sight of God. So, the contrast... First of all, it was through the act, the acts of the two men. Now it's through the immediate results of these two men. And what's the contrast? Well, God's verdict of condemnation in Adam declared guilty. We are declared guilty in and with Adam. Secondly, but in Christ, by the grace of God, God's verdict of justification in Christ is declared right in God's sight, not to what we do or Adam did, but to the gift of grace which comes in and through Jesus Christ. But notice something in this verse. Notice that there's another contrast. Because look at look, look the free gift... Comes after a long history of a multitude of sins and a multitude of sinners. Paul is really emphasizing look, this guy did one act and plunged all these people into sin. But guess what? Christ, in one free gift, and we're going to see one act, cancels all of humanity's sins with this one act. One sin led to a multitude of sins that needed to be atoned for. It led to a multitude of sinners who could never be justified by their own works. They had to be justified by grace alone. Here's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, to quote our president, the sin debt of humanity was huge, really huge. But God's grace in Christ is bigger. It's big. You could even say bigly if you wanted to use bad English. But there's another contrast between being in Adam and in Christ. And this is in verse 17. Notice verse 17. Contrast the reign of death in Adam and reigning in life with Christ. So here the idea is we're contrasting not just acts and results, but these results led to two dominions, or two reigns, or two rules, or you could even say two kingdoms. Get the idea? Look at verse 17. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So, what's similar? Both men establish a kingdom or a reign. But what are the contrasts? Well, first of all, notice that Adam is not even being mentioned anymore. He's now just the one. Here's what's interesting as you move through this passage. Adam... And us, we start dropping out. Jesus is the one who begins to be more exalted. And by the time we get to the end of this passage, it's Christ alone by grace alone. Isn't that beautiful? We could do a little more of that. A little less of us. And a little more of Christ, right? Because, see, it's not about us. It's about what Christ did. Okay, Because the reality is this, we don't do anything but be enslaved by sin and death. Everything we do is tainted with sin. Everything we do is rejected by God apart from Christ. And so, here's the contrast. Reigning in life is not like death's reign for three reasons. One, one is a reign of death, the other is a reign of life. Okay, that's pretty obvious. That's, that's strong. But look at the second one. One is a reign established by Adam's one sin, but the other is established by Christ's one free gift, the gift of justification plus overflowing grace. There's that idea again. Look, look again at 17. How much more... Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So God declares us right in his sight and then gives us a truckload of grace to go with it. Can I hear someone say, Yes, thank you, thank you, God? It's like winning the lottery plus not having to pay taxes on it. That is awesome. Right, yeah. Is it cool to win the lottery? Okay, yeah, yeah. Buy me a ticket. Give me the winnings. I'll take it. But give me the abundance of not having to pay taxes, and now I'm excited. Guess what? You get to be declared right in Christ, plus an abundance of grace comes with it. But look at number three. One reign enslaves those who are in Adam. Uh, and those who are in Adam, to sin's deadly rule, but the other liberates, liberates the recipients of the gift to rule in righteousness. So here's the idea. Here's the idea. Under Adam, we're enslaved to sin and death. We're ruled over. Sin and death rule over us in Adam. But with Christ, we get to reign with Him. You would think He would say, look, in Adam, death rules over you. In Christ, life rules over you. But this is that abundance of grace. No, you're not ruled over. You get to rule with. Instead of being ruled under, you are ruling with Christ in life. Is that awesome? Well, it's hard for us to say it is because we... We, it's hard for us to grasp what that means, but at least we need to know it. It's true. Christ is going to come, and the kingdom's going to come, and He's not going to treat us like subjects and slaves. He's going to treat us as sons and daughters, rulers. That royal priesthood we learned about last Sunday—that's what He's talking about. Do you see the contrast? Do you feel it? Here you're enslaved under the cruel dictator of death. And we do a lot to avoid that. But in our body of this church, we experience miscarriages. We have people that are going through that process of death right now. And it is ugly. It is horrible. And it is a dictator of death. But in Christ, we're going to reign with Him in life. That brings us to a fourth contrast. The contrast is this. All who are condemned and all who are justified. All who are condemned and all who are justified. We see this in verse 18. So then... As through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Now this raises a pretty sticky contrast. The contrast here is between all humanities. There's two humanities, okay? The all. But it raises a question. This contrast raises the question, and the question is this. Is Paul, teaching, is Paul teaching a form of universalism where everyone will eventually be saved in Christ? Because look at verse 18. All men, which is all humanity, and then it says all men again. And many a person, in fact, we've mentioned several times in this series because it's relevant and it's happening right in our city, A pastor that's leading his church into universalism repeatedly in his sermons references this verse and says, look, all men, all men. So the question is this. Is there a one-to-one correspondence so that all that are doomed in Adam will all be saved in Christ? Well, the answer is no, 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 a thousand times no did I say no? No. Now, why is that? Well, let me give you three reasons. Three reasons why this verse is not teaching universalism. Number 1. Well, let me say this. Before I say this, before I say this, let me say this. If all you had was verse 18, yes. That teaches universal If you take verse 18, rip it out of its context, put it on a TV screen not teach your bible to go through a whole not teach your people to go through a whole passage of the bible and just throw that verse on a TV screen and say now what does this mean what are you going to say it means universalism but it's not a verse out of context it's a verse in context so let me give you three reasons number 1 those who are in Adam must receive the free gift according to verse 17. That word receive is the mo- not the most important, but a very important word in this passage. Because I've already said, believe and faith are not in here, not in here, not in here, but receive is in there. And because it's in there, it tells us how first of all, how do we all get in Adam? Good answer. How do you get in Christ? Born again. And how do you, born, how do you get born again? John 1, 12-13. As many as received Him to them, He gave the right to become children of God. And that's the same thing in this verse. You, 17 comes before 18. It's real simple. Number two. The rest of the book of Romans makes it very clear how a person must receive this free gift. Okay, so maybe, you know, how do you receive the free gift? Well, guess what? Paul just wrote two chapters, chapters 3 and 4, to emphasize what? Justification by faith alone. Do you think that Paul is now writing verse 18 and throwing out the window chapters 3 and 4 where he pounds faith, 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 faith. And then number three. The Bible makes it very clear that all those who never receive the free gift will consciously suffer God's eternal wrath. They will consciously suffer God's eternal wrath. Even in the book of Romans... There are vessels destined for salvation, and there are vessels destined for wrath. There are two groups of people. There's two humanities. There's two destinies. And all I say to you today is I hope that just looking at these first four contrasts, and we'll finish this next week, because really the rest of the passage focuses on, guess what? Grace alone. Grace alone. But the most important thing for you and for me is where do you stand? Which humanity are you living in? Are you under the dictator of death and sin? Or have you received this beautiful free gift and you've crossed from death into life? You've crossed from Adam to being born again in Christ. And next week what we'll be talking about is, do you live like it? Because listen to this. How could a people, listen to me, how could a people who have been declared right before God, their sins have been canceled, they're declared right before God as a free gift, and they get a truckload of grace, how could you live in sin any longer? Listen, dear people, if you profess to be in Christ today and you're deep in habitual sin, it needs to change. And here's the good news. It doesn't change by you trying harder. It changes first by receiving this free gift and second by letting God's grace transform your heart so that you can live right in the sight of God. Isn't that good? Man, that's good. Well, it's so good, you need to come back next week. And we'll finish this out. I did my best. I moved fast today. I moved real fast. Hey, would you do something for me? Would you read Romans five twelve through 21 this week? Look over these notes and think through this a little bit. And ask yourself, Where am I? Am I in Adam or am I in Christ? And if I'm in Christ, do I live by grace through faith? Do I live right in the sight of God? Great Advent. Great Advent reflection. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we come. And I pray that you would do your supernatural work that only you can do. If there's any person here, man, woman, doesn't matter, no matter how deep they are in sin, no matter how good they think they are, you can save and declare right that person. You can give them the gift of righteousness if they will just turn from what they're trusting in to just receive it by faith in Christ alone. And Father, I pray that those of us that have received that gift, you've impacted us today and you've reminded us of the great gift. Boy, the greatest gift of all. It's not bought with a credit card. It's not earned or deserved by our good works or going to church. It's given as a free gift. Oh, Lord, help us to live by your grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy first... Sunday of Advent to...